You'll notice in your bulletin that there are a few passages that we are going to read together this morning in our study through the commandments. We come to the ninth commandment. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Then we'll read James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 and John chapter 8 verses 31 through 38. Let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And then John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am, te- I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your Father. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help this morning.
God, we come before you now and we ask that you would be with us as we seek to understand and apply your word. We do pray that your word this very morning would go forth with power, power that comes from your Holy Spirit. You know that we were made to hear and respond to the truth. And so we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears to receive that truth and respond to it. Father, you know who we are and you know the kinds of people that, that we are and, and you know the different ways in which we need to hear your truth this morning. You know all of us individually and you know those who come this morning heavily burdened, burdened by the circumstances in their lives at, at this moment the sadness that feels at times as if it might overtake us, the complexity of the decisions that must be made by us in this life and the anxiety that we often feel. You also know those of us who come this morning and we rightly sense that there is a great distance between what we claim to to be and what we actually are. And still others of us come this morning and they find themselves walking close with you, feeling well your presence in their life, knowing the comfort of the gospel, knowing the call to repentance and faith. And still there are others this morning who walk through these doors and find themselves filled with many doubts. Doubts about the truthfulness of your word. Wondering if this good news that we speak of week in and week out, if it really can be true and if it can be true for them. All of us, different as we are, we have a common need this morning, and that common need is that you would show us the depths of our sin, that you would reveal to us the deception that crowds our hearts. But we also need, we so desperately need to hear of the wonderful good news of the gospel. We need to know that though we are so sinful, because of Jesus, we are completely loved, that we are completely secure, And that we are completely accepted before you. So we pray that you would lift our eyes to see him who was crucified 
and raised from the grave for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we do come to the ninth commandment, and it is a commandment about our words, uh, about our tongues, about our speech. And I think what we find interesting is that when we get to the ninth commandment is that almost every week we have said that you can break all these other commands with your words. You can misuse God's name with your words. You can dishonor your father and mother with your words. You can kill with your words. You can steal with work with your words. And yet, and yet, we still have a commandment that is entirely about our words. Why is that? Words are extremely important because they are so very powerful. You can move people to action with a spoken word, right? You can motivate and inspire people with a word. You can crush and tear people apart with words. You can bring healing and comfort with words. Words are powerful. You know, as soon as children learn to speak, they learn the power of words. They go hand in hand. You know, even the most simple dada or mama, you know, when a child first speaks those words, it is going to elicit a response, you know, attention and oohs and ahs and trying to get that child to repeat it over and over. That's what we do anyway. Children, children learn, you learned uh, very quickly that words can make things happen. Have you ever seen how quickly a parent will spring into action when a two-year-old says, I have to go potty, and they are moving? Uh, what about when a child learns the word no? You know, they, they learn that word, and they speak it, and you can watch on their faces. They, they say it, and then they wait for the consequences of that word. Or, or maybe even more positively, I, I, I can tell you that... When my kids, when they crawl into to my lap, you know, and they say, I love you, Daddy, um, I'm, I'll do anything, <laughs> you know, whatever you want. I'm pouring attention on them, you know, I'm taking out my wallet, I, I, I'm ready to do, and willing to do anything. Um, and we all learned this at the earliest age that words are powerful. What's God saying in this command? He, he's saying that your words matter. And how you use your speech counts for something. And this is why we read that passage from James a few minutes ago where James says that the tongue is a fire. That it is a world of evil among the parts of the body. Your words are powerful. This small part of the body is capable of so much harm. With the tongue, he says, you praise God and then you curse those who are made in His image. Your words are powerful. And what I want us to see this morning, I think, is pretty simple. I want us to see how words can be both dangerous and how they can also be healing. How they can either destroy life or give life. And so here is the first point. Dangerous words. Why is it that you and I remember so well the times we were crushed by someone's words. Why do you remember so well when you are cut with someone's words or deceived with someone's words? I mean, why is it that I can't remember a thing 
about my first grade year in school. But on, on the playground, I remember some kid calling me a pumpkin head. <laughs> and I still don't know what that means. But I do know that in the world of a first grader, it was meant as an insult, whatever it meant. Why does stuff like that stick with us? You know, no matter how big a deal it is, a little more significantly, you know, why is it that some words still have power over you when they were spoken 5, 10, 15, 40 years ago? See, all of us know this because it's almost like we have tape recorders or MP3 players in our head, you know, that replay these things over and over again. We play them back. Those words spoken from a friend, from a brother or sister, from a coach, from a parent, from a spouse, and they still sting. Those words still seem to cripple some of us so that we feel like we can barely move forward in life. I mean, at times we feel because of those words, we are held by invisible chains, a few weeks ago, we were looking at the commandment about not murdering, and we pointed out the, you know, the little nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And hopefully we know better than that now, um, that sticks and stones may break your bones, but they will certainly heal, but words will just crush and kill and destroy you forever. Um, words have the power to be very, very dangerous. And that's why when you look at the command, it doesn't just say, don't give false testimony or don't bear false witness. It doesn't say that. It's not abstract. It's not just good people don't lie, so don't lie. It says don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Because God is saying your words are capable of much danger against your neighbor. So what is it that we do when we bear false witness or we lie? What we do is we misrepresent reality. You and I were made to live in reality, not outside of it. Ignoring reality and going against the grain of reality always leaves us with scars. We see it so easily in the physical world, right? You know, you ignore the reality of gravity and you jump off of a building and you get smashed, you know, you ignore the reality that you weren't made to breathe underwater and you drown. There's a reality in the physical world that we all accept. But there is also a reality in the spiritual world. And when you misrepresent reality to your neighbor, to your friends, to your parents, to your teachers, to your employer, it's not harmless. What God is, God is saying in this command is he's saying when you do that, when you misrepresent reality like that, what you are doing is going against these people. You are pushing them off the ledge. And you are causing them to go against reality and it ends in destruction. You, you know, commands about sex and money and murder, they, all, they seem to bother us a little bit more than this command. But it's not because this command, breaking this command causes less damage. It's, I think it's just because we've become so comfortable with misrepresenting reality. It's become an accepted way for us to deal with one another and do life together. I, I mean, you know, we, we politely lie to each other all the time. We, we say things like, you know, I would love to get together and hang out with you sometime. When the reality is that I would actually hate to do that. Um, and you, you think that things like this are harmless. 
But you are misrepresenting reality, and it's never harmless when you do that. Or you keep truth from people you know, you withhold it, and you do it by telling yourself, you know, so-and-so just, they wouldn't understand. You know, if I told him, if I told her, she would just be devastated, you know, if she knew the truth, so I can't tell her. And what you're really doing is you're taking reality away from that person. Maybe you even have good intentions about it, but when you misrepresent reality, the point of this command is that you are never for your neighbor. You are always against your neighbor. Look, let's pause just for a second to see what you're doing when you lie. What you're doing when you're lying is you're demeaning people when you take the truth away from them. You are cutting into their very humanity when you do that. Because what you're really doing is instead of treating people like people, you're treating them like objects. You dehumanize people and take away their freedom when you say that they don't have a right to the truth. It's why you and I hate it when someone lies to us, when someone deceives us. It's why we feel deeply betrayed by it. Because someone is keeping us from reality. What about when you only tell partial truths? You know, and I think everyone knows what I'm talking about here. You know, when you lead people into thinking a certain way because you didn't tell the whole story or give all the information. What you said may have been true, but it isn't the whole truth. And what you're doing is you're manipulating the people around you. Or you use innuendo, right, to stir up criticism of others. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through in great detail the entire list of the ways we lie and the way, ways we use our words dangerously, but hypocrisy is included here too, certainly. When we live differently uh, and, and act differently around different groups of people, when we become different people, or, or when we show pre- prejudice, you know, when we pass a verdict on somebody, when we stereotype them and we pass a verdict on them before we ever know the truth about that particular person. Or how about when reputations are ruined through gossip and slander? How unbelievably dangerous this is in the life of the church. Reputations are crippled through gossip. Ministry is hindered through slander. Community is dismantled. Through gossip and slander. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 that if there is something between you and someone else, you go to that person and you deal with it there. How often has this command of Jesus been ignored? Why is it so important that he would say so much about it? Because in a world of misrepresented reality, the church is to be a beacon of light. A place of truth and gossip and slander create a place of untruth, a place of carnage instead of healing. Okay, so that's what we do when we lie. Why do you use your words so dangerously and destructively? Why do we misrepresent reality? Why do we bend the truth? Why do we twist it? Why do we exaggerate the truth or only tell partial truths? Uh, Why do we keep people in the dark and at a distance with our words? I think you will understand that there is a point to your deception. You take the truth away from someone else to keep them dependent and and at a distance from reality. Listen, you misrepresent reality so that you can hide from other people. That's why you lie in all kinds of ways. So that you can have some kind of power 
over others' perceptions. You know, I've been thinking about this a pretty good bit, and we seem to be a people in conflict, all of us. On the one hand, human beings long for true vulnerability and openness with others. You know, we crave for knowing and being known, and yet it frightens us more than anything else. At the same time we desire to be open with others, our impulse is to hide from others. We build a false reality so that we can hide lies in all their many forms. They create shadows, they create dark places and faraway places that are out of, the re- out of reach of others. Several years ago, long before uh, Saddam Hussein was captured in Iraq, I-, I remember reading an article in the newspaper about him and I couldn't find the article uh, to give you all the details, but I remember in that article the author talking about Saddam on the run. You know, we were coming, we were after him, and he was on the run. And to what lengths he was having to go to keep himself safe. You know, he had, the article said he had three, three men in his, his command who were uh, his body doubles. You know, they were surgically enhanced so that they would look just like him. Every visitor who came to speak with Saddam had to be strip-searched to check for weapons. He never slept in the same bed for more than two nights in a row. He was always on the move. Anyone believed to be disloyal to him was executed on the spot. No questions asked. His food was x-rayed before every meal. People were commanded to regularly sit in his chairs to check for booby traps. Um, Now, I, I am... Sure that there was much more to this article, but hopefully you get the picture. Here is a picture of a man on the run, and he's hiding to protect himself. And here's how I want to connect that with what we're talking about here. Your lies and my lies, the bending and the twisting of the truth, they look very similar. We are on the run, and we want to hide. We, want to, we, we keep the truth out of reach so that we're protected. We gloss this or that over so that we aren't found out in this area of our lives. We distort and we spin facts so that no one can get too close. You convince yourself, you convince yourself that you have to re- misrepresent reality. Because if they ever knew, if they ever knew, they would know you. And that scares you to death. Do you know what's most frightening, I think, in all of this? Before you are ever dishonest to anyone else, you are always dishonest with yourself first. Before we run and hide from others, we are always running and hiding from ourselves. In this way, and James speaks to this in that passage we read, words aren't just dangerous to the hearer. But they are also dangerous to the speaker because the lies don't just isolate you from others. The lies isolate you from even yourself in reality. Now, I'm going to leave us here for a moment because we need to feel the darkness and the danger of our words. But I want to turn now to look at the second point, which is healing words. Words have the potential to cause destruction, but they also have the potential To bring healing. You see, positively in this command, God is saying, be honest. Some of you may remember the movie several years ago, A Few Good Men, and Tom Cruise, this lawyer, he's defending these two men in this courtroom. They're about to be sentenced, and the climax of that that movie is when Tom Cruise had Jack Nicholson on the witness stand. And at the very height of the tension, 
Tom Cruise screams, I want the truth. Why did he want the truth? Because in that courtroom, and if you saw the movie, you know, the truth had a power. It had the power to set these two men free. The truth had a power to bring healing where there was brokenness. Dishonesty and lies, they always create slavery. Lying takes away freedom, but it is the truth that sets us free. The commands that God give, gives to us, they're very positive. E- even though they, they come in some, some negative terms, they're always positive because they're always saying this. Before your neighbor and never against your neighbor. We are to be for our neighbors with the truth. Now, how does this work itself out in our speech? How do we bring healing and how are we for our neighbors with our words? First, you, you remember... We didn't read it this morning, but there's this passage in Ephesians where God tells us <coughs> to speak the truth in love. And you're smart people, and I know that. God is telling us clearly that we are to speak the truth in this command. We are to protect the dignity of our parents, our friends, our, our bosses, our spouses, by giving them access to truth and reality. But you know... There are ways that you can use the truth harshly. And you can at times use the truth like weapons to cut into people. So God says, before your neighbor and speak the truth, but speak it kindly and speak it graciously and speak it in love. Don't hate people with the truth is what God's saying there. Love people with the truth. You know who, who's the worst at this, right? Christians. Instead of loving people with the truth, we are so often ready to attack and belittle with the truth. This also means that you are to stop gossip and slander. See, it's not enough for you and I to say, well, I'm not a part of it. I, I didn't gossip. I didn't tell it. You know, that kind of thing. If you are for your neighbor, you must stand up for those whom others tear down. You bring healing to those whose character is dismantled by gossip when you stop it in its tracks. It also means that we are to confront one another with the truth. How do you love your friends when you see them making destructive choices and thinking destructively? The husband or or father who... Who's neglecting his family? How do you deal with that friend of yours? The wife who's tearing down her husband? Your friends who are caught in addictions and destructive behavior? My question is, do you care enough to confront each other with the truth? Or do you care so little that you will say nothing at all? See, I need you and I want you to care enough about me that you would come alongside of me and graciously, in love, point out to me, What's not so obvious to me, but what's so obvious to you? We need, people need to catch us being us, and they need to say something about it. Let me give you one more application of what it means to be for your neighbor with the truth and how you bring healing with words. Encourage one another. I mean, we need one another, but more, much more practically than that, we need one another's words. 
words don't just destroy, they bring healing. And surely you know this from experience. It's amazing how quickly and with what grace hearts can be mended and healed with encouragement. You see, when you see growth in others, when you see accomplishments in others, I'm saying this, do not let those things go unpraised. Build others up with your words. Listen, if lying keeps people at a distance, the truth, it brings people close inside and it creates community, a community that is open and vulnerable and honest and full of integrity, community that heals and builds up instead of tears down. How can you tame your wild tongue and your destructive words and bring healing instead? James chapter 3, verse 2, is, it's an interesting verse that we read earlier. At the end of the verse, he says, If you are never at fault in what you say, you're a perfect man, able to keep your whole body in check. But the beginning of that verse says this, We all stumble in many ways. In other words, none of us in this room are faultless when it comes to our words because we all stumble. So how do you tame your tongue and where is the hope? How do we move from dishonesty to honesty, from dangerous words to healing words? First, I would say this. You have to be honest about your dishonesty. In those verses we read from John, Jesus says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And after Jesus says this, look at this passage. These people look back at him and they say, We've never been slaves. You know, they say, what do you mean we're going to be set free? Set free from what? And Jesus says, you are slaves. You see, they could not see their dishonesty. Their pride kept them from seeing it and their slavery. And what about us? Are we able to first admit and be honest about our dishonesty? If your pride will not let you get past that, you will never find the freedom Jesus speaks of. And that leads me to the second thing here. When you see and admit your dishonesty, you must run to Jesus. Only when you see it will you be able to run to the truth. Jesus says in verse 32, If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I want you to notice the similarity of that verse with verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's what Jesus is saying. Other places he says it clearly. John chapter 14. He is saying the truth sets you free and I am the truth. The truth is the only thing that can tame your wild tongue. And Jesus says, I am the truth. You and I often think, I think that the lie is better than the truth. I mean... That was the temptation in the garden, right, with Adam and Eve. I mean, the lie seems so much better than the reality that God had given them. You see, we try and improve, I think, so often the story of our lives with dishonesty. You know, a little embellishment here, a little exaggeration there, a little twisting over here. But I'm trying to tell you that the truth is always the best story. Years ago, I found out about this festival in Columbia, Tennessee called Mule Day. And um, for an entire weekend, these people hold a festival for mules. And I heard about that and said, I have to go to that. Um, I have to see what those kind of people are like. And um, there were a lot of mullets. Um, so, so I got about 20 people together 
and we all went to Columbia for the weekend. And on Friday night, there was a liar's contest. A liar's contest. I had no idea what that was, but, but I wanted to see what it was. So we went there, and there were probably 600 people in this auditorium. And people were getting up on stage, and they were telling these stories that they had rehearsed and that they had made up. And people actually prepared for this thing. I mean, who could tell the, the biggest, the most entertaining, tall tale kind of things? And they had note cards and cues, and some of them even had props for some of their stories. And then this girl that was in our group, she, she said, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to tell a story. And uh, we tried to stop her, but she did it anyway. Um, no preparation, nothing. Um, and that night, she won $100 in the Liars Contest at Mule Day. <laughs> That's actually not the funny part. The funny thing is that her story was 100% true. She won the liar's contest with a true story. The truth always makes the best story. It's always better than the lie. Here's where I'm going with this. Here is the true story of the Bible. You and I, we are dishonest people. We are a people lacking greatly in integrity. We spin lies. We misrepresent reality. We do it to hide and we destroy people in the process. But there is more to that story. Jesus came to bring healing to our broken reality. How is it that Jesus heals your broken reality? I want to say this. He does it with a word from outside of you. You can tell yourself, and some psychology will tell you to do this. You can tell yourself all day long that you're great, that you're wonderful, that you're a good person. But it does you so little good. But when someone else comes along and they validate and they tell you that you're worthy, And they accept you with their words. It heals you. Words are powerful. And Jesus comes to you with a word from the outside, and it is a word of powerful healing. Because he says to those who trust in him, you are forgiven and you are accepted. It's a word that says the truth. The truth took your dishonesty to a cross and there you were washed. That word matters. That true story has been changing lives for thousands of years. It's a story about a broken creation healed by a merciful Savior. You know what freedom the truth brings. I'll tell you, we lie to hide. And the freedom that we have in Jesus is to be done with the hiding. Why would I hide from you the story of my sin, the story of my failures, the story of all my many embarrassments? Why would I hide that story if I know that Jesus came to heal me and he has forgiven and accepted me? I have no need of the shadows and the dark places to hide when I have a redeemer 
who comes to me with a word from the outside and a, a word that says I'm forgiven and accepted because of what he has done in my place. This freedom brings to us a freedom to be for our neighbors. See, you are to be for, radically for, your neighbor when you understand that Jesus was radically for you when he left glory and entered into this miserable world and was crucified in your place. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come now before you admitting that we are a dishonest people, that we are dishonest with you, that we are dishonest with others, that we are even dishonest with ourselves. You know that our only hope is in Jesus. He is the truth, and the truth came to set us free in his person and his work on the cross. And so we pray that you would set us free, that we might be free with others, that we might be free before you, that we might be free with our very selves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.